Hello everyone, welcome to the MRKH podcast. Our full intro has its very own episode, so please do go check it out. For now, a little hello. I'm Ella May from Vava Womb, and this is Mind Over MRKH, a podcast for and by the people with Mayer Rokotansky Kusterhauser Syndrome. You can support the podcast and the work we do directly by heading to mindovermrkh.org. This podcast is receiving a regular sponsorship to keep us going strong from our wonderful friends and UK charity MRKH Connect. We hope you find some comfort in joining our stigma-free MRKH chats with some true MRKH warriors around the globe. You are not alone. Marianne grew up and currently lives in northern Nevada, USA. She's a mum, bonus mum, cat mum, esthetician, wellness buff, social media marketer, champion of women and mental health advocate. In 2019, she got the opportunity to be a patient in a uterus transplant clinical trial and she is currently a regional ambassador for the Beautiful You MRKH Foundation. She lives life to the fullest and wants to help equip others to do the same despite their struggles. Cannot wait to chat to Marianne about all things her MRKH diagnosis, all through to being a uterus transplant candidate. Hello, Marianne, and welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you on. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm honoured to be here. So happy to have you. And we haven't met properly yet. We chat all the time on Instagram, well, not all the time, but a lot. <laughs> on Instagram. We fangirl each other DMs, all the time. Yeah. We've slid into DMs many a time. But how are you? I'm doing super good. I'm nervous, but it's like a nervous excitement to be here. Me too. I know. I feel like I'm like stretching my brave muscle. <laughs> And my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And you've got baby on yes. uh, your baby monitor, right? <laughs> Baby's on the monitor, looking cute. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, she sleeps the whole time. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Anyway, I'm so excited to talk to you. Are you okay just to introduce yourself to everyone listening, whoever they sure. might be? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So, yeah, so my name is Marianne Wood-Clark. I um. I live in the States in Nevada, Northern Nevada. Um, I am married to my husband, Chris. I have a stepdaughter named Samantha. She's eight. And then I have my gave birth to daughter, Lydia. She's 18 months old. Um, I have six cats. I have two dogs. I have been an esthetician for 12 years and I am very, I'm very passionate about um, social selling and anxiety and mental health. And I recently got to uh, be a regional ambassador for the West Coast for Beautiful You MRKH, which is an incredible opportunity. And I yeah. still can't believe that they accepted me, which is of just my own. they did. <laughs> my own just, you know, eh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's such, it, this community is such a, um, and new to me, MRKH community, and I'll go into that a little bit more later, but um, so getting to be somebody who is going to help others and be a voice is what I've always wanted. Didn't know it was an option. And now, so, so it's, it's, it's very humbling, I guess is the word. Not, not that I'm not worthy, but just I'm very humbled by it. 
Oh, that's so that's so lovely. And I think it's so lovely mm-hmm. for people to feel really humbled by kind of being t- like, of course you're going to be taken on. And I think it's like that self-doubt, isn't it? That <laughs> and we just spoke about that. I just spoke about um self-doubt to Marianne before the podcast about myself. So there we go. <laughs> We're in this <Yeah>. together. <laughs> right. I was filling out my recent uh, recent application for a new therapist. <laughs> and I was like, how many times can I put insecure before it gets troubling like, whatever is what she's here for <laughs> exactly um I was going to ask you because I don't actually know what is an esthetician I might oh. I didn't even look into it How I should funny. have googled that before you said it that's hilarious facials waxing eyelash oh. extensions yeah skin therapist oh, amazing Marianne could you please tell us or me and us whoever might be here um, a little bit about your diagnosis story of MRKH, like how old you are, yeah. where you lived, and how that kind of journey was for you from as a teenage um, girl with MRKH. Oh my gosh. Uh, so this is, um, yes, I'd love to share my diagnosis story. Uh, I've actually only been able, I've shared, I shared tidbits and stuff. I'm very like on social media stuff, but I've only ever actually shared it once. Um, and that was just with our, it was like a meeting with the ambassadors. So it was very recently. So this is something. Um, so yeah, I grew up here in, in Northern Nevada in a small town. It's called Gardnerville. So if that, I don't know if that means much to you, but that's, it's a very, it sounds very small town because it's a very small town. And so when I was about 16 and a half and I still hadn't, you know, gotten my period. Mm-hmm. Um, but my younger sister had like four or five years prior we were just, you know, we were confused. So I, you know, we started on the doctor route going, but just, but the only option really was my pediatrician. So it was, you know, the physical exam and then the ultrasound and the CT and then ultimately an MRI. But what I didn't know because of my family's long history of not communicating with each other properly, I didn't know that my doctor was in communication with my mom about what you know, was happening. And to be honest, now that I'm saying this, I don't even know the full story behind like my perspective. Um, so I didn't know this happening. And then, you know, I had that like final MRI to see, you know, what the heck is up. It was my 17th birthday. I had a bunch of friends over. We were like playing like games and stuff. It was like during the summer. So it was during the day, my parents were at work. Um, they get a call on the house phone. If you remember house phones. Oh yeah. I'm too. I wait. I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I pick it up and I can, uh, I can still remember it. Um, with my doctor, she's like, Hey, you're Marion. Doctor. Um, I'm just calling because we got your MRI results in. Um, turns out it is confirmed. You do not have a uterus. And I was like, what? She goes, yep. So I just wanted to let you know that. Um, oh, and I see here on your chart, it's your birthday. Happy birthday, by the way. Oh my God. Marianne, so she called you on your birthday. She called me on my birthday. <laughs> that's, that's so shit. It's so fucked up. <laughs> it's so fucked up. So oh I, I, I just remember I was just standing there in my bedroom. <laughs> I had my friends were all out in my living room. I didn't, I, I just didn't, I didn't know what to do. Um, I think I eventually like kicked people, everyone out, except for like one person or something. I had to call my mom and like, what? Because I'd always known something was up. You know, I was, 
a trying to be like a promiscuous teenager, but I couldn't, you know, Mm -hmm. I just, you know, like, I just like, it didn't work any self-exploration, anything wasn't working and we weren't sure why. So we, and then of course I wasn't getting a period. So we knew something was going wrong. I knew intuitively something was, was, was off, was not mm-hmm. what I was you know told or what I had expected. Um, so yeah. And I just, I don't remember much over from that period. I remember my, my, my parents were devastated and my mom was furious because she wanted to tell me herself so she had known she knew before this call happened obviously because she's yeah mm-hmm. oh that's well she her. knew from that's the ultrasound and the ct that they couldn't find a uterus mm. so that this was more than likely what what was going on but they needed they wanted to just do an mri just to confirm and she was trying you know in her um her efforts to protect me, Protective, yeah. mm-hmm. it ended up, and yeah, she it just, things were out of, got out, you know, it's out of her control. Mm-hmm. Like my, she would, my doctor didn't know she wasn't telling me and just was trying to pass me along, you know, my own medical information, which I, under, you know, I understand, but it was, it was just done really poorly. Um, but then I had no support, nothing. There was no information for me. I, you know, I went down a, at the time when it was like, what, it would have been 2000, Five, 2006. Um, I would just Google born without uterus, nothing. Found a lot of stuff for hysterectomy or whatever. Like there wasn't, I couldn't find anything online because I was never given a name for what I had. Um, and so I spent, you know, years kind of, you know, going between, you know, extreme religious theosity, whatever, as as a way of of kind of finding something to hold on to, to a lot of you know, dangerous you know, alcohol, drugs, boys. I kept going between these two extremes because I didn't know. I can relate with um, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, I, I needed something. And um, I finally had a job I'm working in a doctor's office and some of the nurses tried to connect me with doctors in San Francisco. But even then I wasn't given a name for what I had. I, nobody t- could give me an actual like diagnosis. This, even this doctor was like, hey, this is called, or not, this is called, um, you know, we're, we're familiar with this, whatever, um, transplants won't happen in your lifetime. Um, but, uh, I know, and you'll never, you'll most likely never meet anyone else with this condition because it's that rare. So you didn't, and, you didn't know, sorry to interrupt, you didn't know it was like one in 5,000. You didn't know the stats. You just, you just were told, you don't have a uterus and then mm-hmm. shut out and then that was it yep that's insane yep. and also like yep. your diagnosis wasn't like that long ago do you know what I mean it wasn't like yeah but like I don't it know was- someone that's maybe 60 or 70 now I can imagine having a really different experience right but a lot of people that I've spoken to that are similar kind of like between I don't know 20s and 30s have sort of I don't know just at least being given the name of it or yeah that's just it's crazy it's crazy yeah. how like the medical professional in 2005 or six when there was thousands of people or millions of people or however many there are diagnosed right that they didn't have the name anyway yeah that is that is yeah that's shit and also I hope that every birthday since then that you've been spoiled rotten because you deserve that from having such a shit time in your 17th <laughs> it take it uh took me a long time to like my birthday again um mm. I still it's hard it's hard my birthday which is it was a day of 
a lot of joy for my parents and stuff became a really big day of grief for us and for me um because that was you know i i felt like i lost something you, I mean, you, you, and I imagine most people listening to this will understand that it's like, you, you didn't ever actually have it, but you still feel like you, you lost what you expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, yeah, that was hard. And oh, so I, a hug. I know <laughs> we'll, we'll meet one day. We'll really hug. Yes, please. <laughs> um, but we, uh, and then this doctor at uh, UCSF, she said it was about dilation um, but at the time I was in my like, like super Christian time. So I was like, I'm not having sex. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, okay, well, when you just think you're going to start or whatever, then you can start dilation, which now as you know, now that I know so much more about that process and whether that it doesn't even have to be something you have to do though. Mm-hmm. I felt like I would just, I was in no way equipped because, you know, what I would have liked to have done was to have been kind of told how it's easier the younger you are Mm -hmm. if you want to do it um and but she didn't know and so I and I never got a diagnosis I would try to I still wanted to have like um like reproductive health care going to a gynecologist um I went to a few that were awful I went to this one doctor guy such a dick he like traumatized me you know I met him I'm up in the stirrups when he walks into the room, I tell him about this condition. He goes, no, that's not actually possible. You're wrong. You were misdiagnosed. I'm like, well, I've never had a period. He goes, yeah, but it's not possible to be born female without a uterus. You're fucking joking. Yeah. So it was, I finally, yeah. Oh, it was so, it. it, it, And just for everyone that's had that shit experience, like, yeah. I feel oh, like I there's people that aren't gynecologists and not, I'm not dissing all gynecologists. I'm just saying there's people that aren't di- gynecologists that could Google this and look into it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So to say that, and just to give you that mm-hmm. like real uncertainty and like just to leave you in the dark about your own body and not even try yeah. and understand. Like I just, yeah, I'm just shocked. I'm yeah. right. And every time, and, <laughs> right. And every time I would like try and like Google, Google it, I wasn't getting like satisfactory results. So then I just stopped looking anymore. Like I was like, I just, I eventually became, well, this is just me and I'm the only one with this. So, okay. I, w- I eventually figured out, taught myself how to be my own advocate. Um, and, and was like, oh, if I'm going to a doctor, I will tell the office beforehand. So that way they have a chance to understand me. And I met a, then I had a just phenomenal provider who he took the time to look it up and understand it. We met in his office and talked for almost an hour because he was somebody who could understand, who finally was able to tell me what my body was and why it was. He gave me the malarian agenesis diagnosis. So, which is, you know, they're they're pretty much one and the same. And so I, it was, it was amazing to actually finally have someone who understood why one, I needed care. I still needed like reproductive care because he ended up taking one of my ovaries when it got like a grapefruit size, um, which if I had given up because I was being, I, I wouldn't say laughed out of other offices, but I did get that feeling from a couple of them. I was like laughed out of gynecologists. Um, I yeah, I still deserved care. So mm, of course you did. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I learned how to, 
So all the things that we talk about in our communities about, um, yeah, self-advocacy, disclosure, mm -hmm. um, you know, dilation, everything. This was all stuff. I was in a MRKH care desert. There was an episode, I forget who you were talking to. I think it was a Sumavi girl, but anyways, you guys were talking about, um, like, oh, it was out with Allie about privilege. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And like, and you were talking about, you know, in these um, other countries that are, are where, you know, we were mm -hmm. 10, 20 years ago, I'm where they, I, I was there too. Like I'm, I, without like, any I, knowledge and no, no, no knowledge, exactly. no support. Yeah. Nothing. So I, I learned, you know, I learned disclosure for me meant everybody knows because I control the narrative after going through, you know, you find out a diagnosis like that with all your friends around and everybody's 17 and stupid. Um, you're gonna, you get the, the, what is Marianne? Mm. Is she, is she actually a man? Has anyone ever seen, actually seen her naked? Mm. Mm. And it's mm. like, because kid, kids and young people, even me as a 16 year old, if someone else was diagnosed, you'd probably be a very curious like we're instinctively inquisitive aren't we about other people and their bodies and nosy as young people so like I don't know personally at school I just think I didn't speak about it because young people are just dickheads sometimes yes <laughs> and uh, they yes. just don't get it and there was and there was just no point of putting myself through that so you were diagnosed with the last um doctor that you saw how old were you then um Sorry, you, you were given you were given the name of it you were obviously Dr. Cool, a, yeah. What was he? Oh my gosh. Um 23 or 24? <gasps> wow. So you were yeah. you had the call on your birthday at, at 17, and then mm -hmm. it wasn't for another five or something years later, six years later that you Yeah. Which they're actually I might I actually don't think I actually have any like official um diagnosis like paper anything I don't think it's actually written down anywhere which is weird nothing that says so yeah just on your like medical history documents yeah that's yeah I, I started sorry I, was, I, I started adding it when I got a name for it but I don't yeah so I, yeah I think I was into my 20s by the time I was actually given a name for what I have and then he he said that there are people that have it. I, I don't know if he gave me, he didn't give me like the one in 5,000 statistic, um, but it did make me feel like less alone or something that he had at least heard about. He didn't, had never treated anyone with my condition, but he had heard about it and he was not afraid of my body, of just my, you know, divergence essentially. Um, which was really nice when he had to, when we had to take a, an ovary, he goes, I'm so sorry. He, he is a humor. Like I appreciate, he's like, I'm so sorry. Cause you're already missing enough and I don't want to take anymore. And I just, Aww. I liked it because so many people would have to tiptoe around it because, well, to be frank, although sometimes you find out someone's pregnant and you're going to break down into tears as happy as you are. So having people, so, you know, someone in my life that wasn't afraid, uh, um, of, of me and my emotions around my body was, mm. Um, yeah, I'll always be grateful for him. He's still my doctor. So. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so those years in between you not knowing the sort of name of MRKH or malarianogenesis or there's lots of different things it can be called. So what when you were speaking to friends about like periods and I don't know, pregnancy, how, how did you feel in those years? Did you, do you feel like 
the fact that you were never given this name? Do you feel like you'd kind of be that's that was taken away from you because you didn't have that that time to process it, or or was it something that was just kind of hidden in the back of your mind that you never spoke about, or um, or did you live I, open openly with it just without a name? <laughs> yeah, it was it was my protection method was just to lay it out there, you know, mm. just to be, which isn't for everybody, and it it, it you know it you know, can be very vulnerable, of course, but I just, I didn't want to like keep track of who knew or who didn't mm. or anything like that. Um, I just was, yeah, I was like, oh, I don't get periods. Oh, I don't, I went to the store one time for a friend for um, tampons <laughs> and I'm like panicking at this aisle. And then I realized it looks perfectly normal. I am a you know, female presenting person staring at feminine care products. Mm. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but I, everyone else thinks I do. Yeah, uh, I but, hate that feeling. Like, yeah. oh, can, you, have you, can, you, can you pick up some tampons? What ones? What size? What are these? <laughs> there are multiple <laughs> sizes? Yeah. <laughs> what does that work? How does that even work? That's Where fun. does it go? So your kind of disclosure script was just without the MRKH I've just got no periods and I was born don't, without uterus. don't really know but yep. this is me and this yep. is my experience um yep. just, yeah, I, I was born without one and I even so it was even a thing where like this should have been a red flag when I was getting together with my ex-husband now ex-husband of course um uh that he had to pray about whether that would be okay to be with somebody that couldn't bear his own children Wow. You had to wait for God's permission. So that's really take that for what it what it what it is. But but because of because of that, because I already felt so inferior because I was just starting out the gate, no, no, my knowing my body wasn't going to be able to produce children. Um, I couldn't believe my good fortune that somebody would want to marry me, which meant that he got away with everything. He got away with, you know, being very abusive for six years um, because in the, a lot of that had to do with, you know, my own you know, insecurities and imposter syndrome into my, I felt like an imposter in my own life. Um, and it had a lot to do with this diagnosis being very lonely, you know, like, mm. like what are the chances somebody would marry me? How am I ever, I, I have to be here forever now, which meant he, you know, I got to be treated the way I did, but you know, got out of that, but it's, yeah whoever they are it's their loss and I think it's one of those biggest things isn't it like if someone doesn't accept and love you for who you are then it's yeah they're not worth it but I think growing up for all of us it's really hard to think that we'd ever be worthy of someone oh yeah because of all these other girls that or people that can just get pregnant and have their babies and that's like what we're made for but um can I can I ask you a bit about your sex education as a teenager was there anything like, as, I don't know if you remember anything or do you remember any like you feeling different at that time or questioning what teaching you? <laughs> yeah. So like we did do, you know, like a sex education, it was, it was education. It was in, uh, it was like in fifth or sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And I, I like, I remember it. I remember like learning all the things. And then I remember, so I actually know when I would have, when I hormonally started menstruation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was in seventh grade. I remember, oh my God, no, your podcast is TMI. I'm not going to apologize for being TMI. Um, cause <laughs> I remember I was waiting. I was so excited because listen, I was the kid that pretended to be, be pregnant. I was the kid who pretended to be a mom. I was you like, really pushed out. Did you do that? Yes. I used yes. To do that all the time. Oh my gosh. Anytime we would play anything, I was like, I get to be the mom, but I want to be pregnant first. So like mm-hmm. I was like low grade obsessed with this idea growing up. So I was waiting to get my period and my friend was starting hers. And I remember getting this white dish discharge that I'd remember hearing about from sex education was that one of the signs that you're going to start getting your period is you get like tender little like breast buds, knots, and then you start getting like a white cottage cheesy discharge. Well, I got it. I was so excited. I'm like, it's coming. (laughs) Yes. It's coming. It's coming. And then it didn't. And I was like, okay, well, I was wrong, but it's coming. It is coming. It is on its way. (laughs) It is on its way. And then, you know, my body started, I, I, you know, I don't have much of a, I didn't have much of a figure to me anyways until I got a lot older, but, um, you know, I was developing a little bit and I was like, well, I'm going to have to get a period eventually. And then it's like, then there was the whole, you know, you're not getting one because you're athletic. And I'm like, I'm in marching band. (laughs) It's not like the level of athleticism to not get it. So, yeah, so I, that was, so I think I got an adequate sex education, but for someone that doesn't have MRH. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like this isn't something I don't even know nowadays how much they get into like intersex and, um, like reproductive, like, uh, differences and things. Because yeah, they, I, don't, I don't, I don't know really. Because I think now people are still saying that sex, sex education isn't good enough, but there's so much out there. So I think it's definitely, definitely 100% improving, and I think it's including more variety and um, mm-hmm. kind of diversity and different yeah. bodies, and and the fact that like sex education isn't binary like it doesn't it isn't just one thing's going to happen to this body and one thing's going to happen to that body it's like you can or you might you're all going to go through loads of different stuff like there's probably just far too much to cover isn't there especially when it comes to like fertility and stuff that younger people maybe don't want to know but like for us we're 16 17 finding stuff out already because some stuff's not happening or we're not getting periods or whatever so yeah it's crazy because in a weird way I feel like if I would have learned that something could go wrong I'd be constantly worried but yeah and all, all like people pressured to tell people or whatever oh yeah it's mind-blowing how I yeah <laughs> but you were still worried it's like when do you yeah I, I have a history of catastrophizing and I'm a bit of a hypochondriac which mm. but it turns out I keep being right so I'm not like like but it's it would have been nice to know it, it, for me, which is my, my, most of my experience with MRKH up until the trial, which we need to, we need to get into that part too, but is, uh, was about this like loneliness and isolation. And this was, I was, I was it for all I knew. I'm sure there were other people, but there's no network to connect us. There's no resources for us. There just is, there's nothing you can do for it. Exactly. So it would have been nice to know that there can be differences that are still, um, I guess, worth talking about. Hmm. I don't know if I'm communicating that properly, but just like that, we're not, that you're not only going to learn about the norm. 
that like sex education, not just for the person that is potentially is going to have it, but for just being a person that's going to interact with other people that have, yeah, diversity in, an, in anatomy to know how to approach them still as a person. Mm. You know, a big part of my, my self-advocacy and disclosure was just was like teaching people how to not be weird around me about it. Oh, such like, a point. Yeah, like don't like, I had someone like apologize talking about their period or complaining that they were in pain. And I was like, you know, I started my, my you know, my, my personality is like, you know, I make a joke or um, sometimes I made a joke to just make them feel a little bit better too. But also, but cause I also needed to acknowledge there was not gonna be moving forward until, you know, I kind of built a bridge for them, but like, you know, I don't have to have cramps. That's probably if I'm going to have to have one positive thing, I don't have to have cramping in a, cause I don't have the organ to do it. And, you know, trying to make them feel a little bit better, but I was like, I don't want to be excluded from, you know, being around a group of girls talking about life and everything, just cause I don't have one just cause I don't have mm. that experience. Um, it's like, I can't come to the party, but it still feels nice to be invited. <laughs> kind of thing you know I just um, yeah that's that's a good point actually yeah I started like teaching people how to not me you know meaning to but just be like still talk to me about it you can still like I can like you don't have to hide a big part of your life like I like because I can't acknowledge it like like, also if you're in a room with all different genders you've all got different experiences I feel like just because and I, I'm, I'm like that now when there's, I don't know, discussions on pregnancy. Sometimes sometimes I find it a bit overwhelming, but most of the time I'm like the inquisitive one that wants to talk about it loads because it's not something I'm going to experience or may not experience. But it is something that I'm still really interested in learning because that's how babies are made. Yes. That's how I came out. That's how. Um, anyway, speaking of pregnancy yeah um, I'm going to ask you the big question can you tell us about when you first heard of uterine transplants and about your journey yes getting a womb (laughs) so holy moly yeah um so this is okay. gonna be big. This is gonna be like yeah, I know. I'm like, okay, congrats. that was part Let's one. Do this. Part two. <laughs> so I was, and it's ironic. So I was having I I was going through like my my marriage my marriage was ending. I like, you know, dropped a bomb on my relationship because I was all the different reasons. Um it was very, very unhealthy and dangerous for, for my me to re- remain there. But in that time, a friend from um, my previous church, because I shared publicly like about my, you know, about my story, like I said, I was, I was open about it, um, sent me this article about uh, the Cleveland Clinic here in the States that starting a uterus transplant clinical trial. She sent me the article. She's like, hey, I don't know if you heard about this. I saw this and thought of you. I'm leaving my husband, which to me meant like I was probably going to be single and then I see this about this thing I didn't know even know they were doing them I was like well I can't acknowledge that right now oh I I there are moments in my life where I like actively choose my avoidance habits and I was like I'm avoiding that I'm forgetting that didn't even respond but it buried a little seed in my head um flash forward three years 
it was like around um fall I just was like I'm with we I'm with my at the time he was my my boyfriend we were in a house that we you know recently bought together (laughs) just was like I'm gonna google that just going to Google like uterus transplants, like, and just see. And the first one that popped up was one in Dallas. And so I, I, you know, I clicked on it, read about it. I'm like, holy shit, they're really doing this. Like there are enough of us out there that need a transplant. This is how in the dark, this is how in the dark I was. Um, and so I like, I went on and still and like toward the bottom, there was like a application thing. <laughs> it was like a drop down menu donor or recipient. It, it felt so very, it was so surreal. That's why I remember it so well. Like, I'm like, I guess recipient filled out my information, you know, a little thing got sent like a week later or two weeks later, I got sent a longer form application. I didn't tell anybody. I did not tell a single soul. Um, because I was like, I can't, when they say no, I don't want to let everybody down. I want to process it myself. And then I'll, you know, later tell them hmm, it wasn't done and being an option for me because at this point, okay. So I, they gave me a long application, which I thought for sure would be what would disqualify me because, um, I'd had a, a like a, it's a, a teratoma. It's like a big benign tumor in your ovary. So I lost an ovary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have in, um, like an inflammatory autoimmune condition, um, they just make, gives me a really weak immune system. So I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure they're not going to accept me, but I'm just going to keep moving forward in it. It asked a lot of questions. It was huge. It was a huge long application. And one of them was had you'd ever done IVF. And this is something. So after I had lost that ovary, me and my ex, um, we went and made some embryos as like a secure or a insurance kind of policy for us. Like I, I, we were running, I, you know, I was quickly running out of options. And if we ever wanted to do, you know, a gestational carrier someday, we didn't want, I, there was now a higher risk that I would lose the other ovary. So I'd gone through it and I would put yes, you know, four embryos. I was like, but I put, I put, but I do not have access to them. Um, because we, you know, our divorce agreement or whatever was neither of us get them. Um, like neither of us can use them. Sorry, Marianne. So you went, you had embryos created. Yes. Previously. Oh, okay. I might have missed yes. that in my. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 I, yeah. We made embryos. So, but like they want all this information. So I was like, well, I, at least I know my body responds to IVF really well. So anyway, so I filled out this application. <laughs> I was, oh, this is not an important part of the story, but you might like it. Um, this was like, this was like months, months in between. Oh, I filled out the Sorry, I filled out the short application, didn't hear anything for months, like three or four months. Then I finally told Chris, um, my boyfriend, I was like, hey, I applied for this thing, but I didn't hear anything like, you know, no harm, no foul. And he's like, really? He goes, and he, he's a scientist and he goes, it's academia. They move really slow. Just bug them. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. And I'm like, oh, I can't bug them. I don't want to be that guy. So I just reapplied. And that's when they sent me the long application, but it was like several, still more months. So this was June of 2019. I am, I'm in Canada, getting on the plane to head to your country to see the Spice Girls with my sister. <laughs> and I get a call from the D- Dallas people. Like I'm literally, I'm standing in line. She's like, Hey, we wanted to talk to you about the transplant trial and, um, getting you down to Dallas for an interview. And I'm like, it was a voicemail. Like, I, I can't, I can't think about this right now. I cannot think about this right now. I need, like, I'm going on like a dream trip. I've spent all my savings on this trip. Like, 
no. So I come back into town. Um, like I said, that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't important, but uh, we, I finally that get on. That call gives me shivers though. That made yeah. me like teary as well. I was like, yeah. just that initial, like someone calling you, telling you that it's, yeah, it's crazy, crazy. crazy. I still have the voicemail in my phone. No Cause it was like, very, like this was her job. Like this is her, she makes this call all the time. Not all, at least 20 times made that call. But to mm. me, but I was so like, ah, I can't. I can't think about this. Um, when I get back, I get on the phone and we talk it out. And, you know, I tell them I made very clear, like I, I have embryos, but I cannot use them because with this trial, they wanted you to already have like embryos to be transplanted. Um, mm-hmm. so that before to, to be transferred, sorry, before they do the transplant, um, just kind of, just so they know, like they only have 20 slots. It was, it was the large the large one that um, they did in Dallas. So they, they weren't gonna do a transplant on someone that didn't already have embryos just in case. It only made sense. But I told them, I know my body responds well to IVF medication, even with the one ovary, but I can't use these embryos. Um, they decided to just forget that. So, but I, um, I was going out there my mom came with me um, to like do all the tests and everything. It was just such a very, it was a weird experience. like so much blood. I think I, it was like 30 tubes or something. It's bad. It's bad. I was like, I'm already low in iron because I don't eat meat. Like you're taking all my blood. You had to take loads and loads of tests to do everything. Yeah. And yeah, then, you know, yeah. all the imaging and everything. And then, you know, I meet with the team and they're like, um, we're so glad you came in. Like the reason you didn't hear from us is because all the slots were filled when we, you first applied, but we had someone who dropped out a week before their transplant or they were like, yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. And I'm like, it's great. Cause we, this has to be done by September 1st. And since you already have embryos, like we're good to go. And I'm like, hold on. No, I put it at the application. <laughs> I was like, I have, I was like, I don't, I, 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 yes, I have embryos. I cannot use them. They're not the ones I'm going, going to use. And so I basically had to decide that day. We had to decide if we were doing this because they were like, okay, well, if we put, let you in, you have to have started the IVF medication like two days ago in order to have time to do an M, the egg tra- or egg extraction, mm-hmm. embryo creation before you do the transplant. So we were racing against the clock. So I had to call you know, my boyfriend at the time, Chris, was like, hey, are you ready to do this? Because I have to go meet with the fertility guy now who was a different doctor, get started on these medications in order to even just have a chance at this. And he, what, what was amazing and why sometimes things, sometimes things don't work out. And the reason they don't work out is a real, is a really good thing, but sometimes things just work, don't work out because, um, you need to be able to move on to what does. I don't know if that makes sense, but Mm -hmm. I, this was a process that I could have never done with my ex-husband, um, because Chris, his willingness to like jump at a chance and make personal sacrifices uh, in, in himself. Like he, he was a parent, like he, he is a, he was already a parent. Like, um, and to choose to leap with me and do this and all that came with it. Like it could, I, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Chris. Uh, he, yeah. Love you, babe. (laughs) Sounds like you rock. So that, yeah, that's amazing. And so amazing that you found the one yeah. to be doing this with. I know, I know. I get yeah, oh, it's wild. So 
yeah, he just like, you know, he agreed with me that as long as the doors for this were open in front of me, I was going to be the one to keep walking through it. I was like, because I knew, and I've been telling about this myself since this, since I had applied, like if I didn't at least try, I'd always wonder just knowing myself, I have a long history of not trusting my gut. I, I was kind of raised to not trust my instincts, not do any of this. So to me, I knew I would always question and wonder if I made a wrong choice, but if I kept walking forward and until somebody else told me, no, I could, I, 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 I was okay with that. Like I was okay with being told, no, I wasn't willing to be the one that said no. And that provided me a bravery that I didn't know I had inside of me, to be honest, because it got really hard. Um, so we, yeah, we went through the IVF. I had to fly back and forth from Northern Nevada to Dallas, Texas, um, to get, because they wanted like to use that fertility clinic and we got lucky. We got six embryos, put them on ice. And so that was, I think they did the, the egg extraction, like a week or it was like a week before transplant. And so then I had to come home. Oh, it's so crazy. We had, I had to come, <laughs> like, there's so many details. Yeah, I was going to um, say, it sounds like it's like you got the call and then it was like, go, 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 it go. Was. Eggs, it was six weeks. It was six weeks from when I was accepted to when I was under the knife. And which That's meant insane. I also had to move because you needed to live within like an hour's drive of the hospital because you're there so much. Um, I couldn't, so, but if the transplant doesn't take, which it happened, it happened to, I think six from our study, um, you don't want to have moved your whole life. So we like moved some of our stuff down, which I stayed in like, mm. we, we, I got there two days before surgery. It was in like the worst Airbnb that I'd rented for two months. The worst, it was like a cement box. Um, and yeah, I got to, so anyway, so they, they were like, okay, you got, we got your embryos. I needed at least two. They were, they're like, like we want three. You need to have two. They're like, but if you have one and it's really, really good and you're willing to do another round of IVF, like this team was great to me. Like they were very, they were also running up against their clock. They're like, we don't have anybody else and we need to fill this 20th space, space. but they were very good to me. And luckily we had enough embryos and um, I got down there and on August 23rd was when my surgery was. And we got there on August 21st to be like in, in Dallas. Um, and it was so scary. <laughs> well, I was going to say on that day, like what, so what, oh, I just want to ask you about, like, there's so many things I want to ask. So I many know. things, like, but I want to ask first about you, the transplant and the risks and what you were told maybe, and how yeah. did you come to the decision and what, what were your like fears and stuff like that? Cause I think getting told that you can have a womb transplant, but I don't know, like the, the I think the, like the, the want for a womb is probably so intense that you kind of, how did you balance those feelings of wanting the womb, wanting the pregnancy, wanting to be part of the trial against the risks and the immune suppressants and all of that stuff? Because I've, I've obviously, I've looked into it quite a lot. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, but um, yeah, how, how did you, how did you make that decision? And I know that you said you went with your gut and your feeling but what were the risks and kind of the fears linked to your decision that they'd maybe spoken to you about because I'd be shitting myself oh my gosh I like 
you know, I wasn't eating well. Like that's my anxiety or something. Like you can tell I'm doing well mentally when I'm, you know, fluffy, which is good. It's great. I'd rather, but like I was, I was not eating. I was like so anxious because I'm like, how do I handle this is like mon- this is like this feels monumentous because it was. Um, but there the, all the risks were there weren't a ton of risks physically beyond like the typical surgical risks, you know, mm-hmm. or like, you know, the potential to like nick a ureter, um, or like, you know, some like stitch work or something or internal mm-hmm. bleeding, like that kind of thing, but not serious medical risks. The risks they really try to prepare you for are um like the emotional risks Mm -hmm. like how like you could potentially wake up from surgery and the uterus never you know never pinked up so it didn't work um the you uh because there's actually part of the acceptance process was a psychological evaluation um which I really thought I was like, <laughs> this is the one I fail. I've been divorced. I don't know what, don't even know what MRKH is. Like, yeah. Oh, in like, my inter- really? Me? <laughs> yeah. I think we yeah, all like, feel like that though, because I think MRKH, a diagnosis of MRKH, or obviously in your case, not a diagnosis of MRKH, but um, it makes you feel like you're, you're suffering with like anxiety, depression. So when people do throw things at you, like psychological tests, you know, when it comes to like adoption or, and I was like, they're going to think like, I'm crazy because I'm like anxious and like, I feel depressed and I'm crying and this and that. Am I stable? But like deep down, maybe we're just all humans are kind of a little bit unstable in their own way. So this is yes, just I our, think our thing. Yeah, I think that's what she kind of came down to. Because yeah, because I at the time I had no idea that. I thought I was just like a neurotic person. I had no idea I had chronic anxiety. Like this is something I've, I've, le- I've been learning in the last couple of years just about myself, which has helped me to better know and accept myself. But um, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm so neurotic and I have all like this drama and there's all this drama with Chris. And like, now we have to like, you know, in his family situation, now we have to come here and move. And, you know, I also have all like these illnesses and like, so... Mm-hmm. But with the, when they prepare you for this, they kind of try to, they do like, they do, they do the best they can. They can't prepare you for everything. They can't prepare you for like how painful it's going to be or how hard it's going to be to feel nauseous for weeks. Mm. I think it was up to two or three months after, just after surgery, like how just nauseous you feel all the time, how painful it is, how hard it, it, it truly feels to be on immunosuppression because it's kind of like, like that flu feeling all the time. You're just like, just run down and things are just like harder. It, um, they, they don't, they tell you, there's no way to truly prepare you for like how much mental strength it's going to take to do it, to do this. So I was, I was obviously like shit in my pants nervous before a transplant I was gonna um, say yeah day day of transplant we were, we were yeah. kind of there and I interrupted so yeah how no. are you feeling on that day and yeah so, yeah, so that happened? day <laughs> I know so it was a like afternoon slash evening surgery because they started like really early in the morning on my donor's surgery so sorry um I just need to plug my laptop in give me one second yeah. It's just done my low battery. I thought I'd plugged it in earlier when I clearly hadn't. I'll, I'll sing you some hold music. Right, I'm plugged in. 
I do that all the time. Um, so anyway, so they, they started early in the morning on my donor surgery. Um, so like I wasn't until the afternoon. (laughs) It was so hard because I was just, we didn't even have to be in the hospital till later. And I just at home or at the Airbnb, like knowing that like, (laughs) like everything's going to change this afternoon and, you know, get to the hospital and just, there's no way to describe it. It's like this anxious expectation. I would, you know, I'd go between crying and like fits of crazy, crazed laughter. Sorry. Um, just like, it's, it was wild. Um, so, uh, Nikki, who I, I, the only thing I knew about my donor at the time was that it was a woman named Nikki who had had two children and lived in Southern California. Um, uh, because part of the process is unless you like bright, bring your own donor, um, they don't want, uh, they, they don't like to um, connect us yet because just so many things like what if they have seller's remorse? What if they are having, you know, medical complications? And so they, and so they really like regret giving up their organ or what if I, you know, the recipient, you know, I'm really struggling or anything and they just don't want like to add like that emotional like layer or um, emotional responsibility, I guess, mm-hmm. like to, for either to feel really guilty for what, or like, you know, if I, you know, was getting pregnant and kept having miscarriages to like blame the donor. So we, we were able to write like letters and I, you know, gave her a card before, um, you know, just thanking her. Like, I will never be able to thank her enough who now um, Nikki is like so dear and special to me. And sorry, I, and she absolutely changed my life and um oh, I got her as a close now. close friend yeah and sister now and, you know she came up for yeah she yeah we've gotten together like and she's just uh so anyways so, um so she, like I knew I'm just like at home hanging one of my cats I could only bring one cat at the time <laughs> and the dog and just knowing that she was doing this for me um but also knowing that at any point during that day it could not work because they're like, you know, we can get, you know, get the uterus out. And when we look at it, it could not be right. It could have something that we just couldn't tell from imaging because the donors go through more tests than we do beforehand Um, because they need, you know, a clinical trial. They need everything to be perfect because they want the study to be overall successful so they can can offer it um, to the public. Mm. Um, So they're like, you know, if we pull it out and if it doesn't look, you know, something's wrong, sorry. <laughs> but so I, you know, I get there and just. Did you meet anyone, sorry, Marianne, did you meet anyone before you went into surgery that had had. Oh, good question. Transplant beforehand. Like just yeah. Say, how kinda. was it? Are you okay? <laughs> what yeah. should I be scared of? Yeah. Right. Well, here's the thing. And this is something um, I have been, um, I still struggle with. I don't. No, you're gonna think I'm so silly. I don't know how to have, I'm not very good at having MRKH friends, which sounds weird because I actually have a lot, a lot. I like all over the world in a couple of countries. I don't even, we don't even speak the same language, but uh, because I had to figure it all out on my own. I had, I had mm-hmm. over a decade of being, I was my resource for not having a uterus. So like, I didn't even know what questions to ask or what to do, but I had like, um, so like you're listening to this and you're one of my MRKH sister friends, just know that we're, our, 
Like I'm grateful that you guys stay in touch with me <laughs> because I am learning slowly how to be, um, how to depend on those relationships, which I do. I do now like a lot better, but I'm like, I learned it. it's, yeah, it's an anxiety thing. We'll just say that. Like I get I very anxious. Say, Marilla, everyone's navigating their own. Yeah. Like building relationships with people. Sometimes it's quite difficult because yeah, like there's, I mean, we, like both of us are online. We speak to lots of different people, but it is sometimes hard to navigate friendships and relationships, especially because seeing like people in generally can't have and <laughs> hold that many friends so the yeah. same like there's there's that there's that thing as well like you kind of want to have a connection with everyone but we're all just humans like they've got something similar and yeah. in the same in the same as normal world like just because there's a female and a female doesn't mean that they're gonna just be friends because they've got a womb <laughs> or the other way yeah <laughs> other way around because well, I'll have some of my, my girlfriends like reach out to me with like a question about something like not even transfer where they just like MRK H and I'm like oh I wish I would have asked that to somebody like like that would have been really helpful because I'm like oh I guess like I didn't realize how much I guess I shouldn't say I'm like a bad MRK H friend or like I don't know how to do but I like I'm learning how helpful and necessary it is to have relationships with people that get it through others, like looking to me as somebody to have a relationship with who gets it and not even, not just the transfer side, just the, even just the MRKH side. So I, I'm learning that way. I didn't, I don't automatically go to somebody else with this condition when I'm having an issue with it. I, or a, a concern or just like a sad day. Like this is something, um, We'll have all of it later. Like now that I don't have the uterus anymore, I've had to like re-grieve it. Mm. Um, I, I like don't know how, even though they're girls in the trail, like I don't know how to go and talk about it. Um, this is why I have a new therapist. Yeah, genuinely, yeah. But I just cannot like comprehend that feeling of getting this not like your story is just so unique and everyone's story is unique but the uniqueness of not knowing what MRKH is teaching yourself what it is then going to get a womb which obviously we need to carry on talking about and then having a baby and then having a womb taken out and then trying to navigate friendships like no fucking wonder there's so much like diff like not difficulty but just you're just figuring you're figuring loads of shit out and that's okay like yeah I was in the in it was like in one of like the like kind of like interviews like meeting with the doctors and some stuff where they're like um say something about MRKH and I go what is that (laughs) they're like look at me like what and I'm like well I just called it M- malarian agenesis she's like oh okay that makes sense and so then they they they're like are you in any of the support groups on Facebook I'm like no I didn't I don't know that I don't I don't know this word you're telling me I don't know I don't know this I know I don't have a uterus uh and so that's how I found out and then I had um when I started uh sharing a little bit on social media that I was doing this a couple girls from um this study and then the uh, like other ones across the country reached out to me and and then I ran into some at the uh the clinic like when I was doing like my pre-tests and things and they were doing you know you know the the you know weekly bi-weekly things or whatever we had to do um like I got to see one of the babies and she was like two weeks old and I feel so bad like now I know her now we're like great great friends but she was 
wrecked. <laughs> like she was wrecked. And I'm like, oh my God, a trans pet baby. Like, oh. hi, I'm Marianne. Like, who is this psycho lady? Like all up in my business. <laughs> um, so I did, I did, I get, got to meet with some girls and like, um, or got to, got to meet them like mostly online, but a couple in person. Um, I didn't know what to ask though. This was my problem. I didn't know what questions to ask. I was just like, oh, like, did it hurt? <laughs> like, like I, I didn't, I, I did not have, because, yeah, like I said, because I was so like self supportive, I didn't know how to like, let somebody support me or just like give me answers. Cause I didn't know what questions to ask. Mm. Um, and sometimes even, you so yeah, sometimes I think with things such so big like a womb transplant you almost just don't want to know too much maybe you kind of just want to go into it yeah get your own information just go in and go right I'm like yeah, yeah. and I, that that's I can totally see that yeah <laughs> so I went in so anyway so back to like the day you know I went like I was there got hooked yeah. up I was going in for surgery and I yeah. I mean, obviously I can't remember the surgery. That's the point. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like I woke up, I remember being just so afraid of, of how I was going to feel emotionally if it didn't work. Like that was my fear. Like I'd been through stuff physically that I can handle, but I was like less of, you know, I like, I asked like, is it going to hurt? Nobody wants to feel pain. But my fear was this was like the, like, like I was walking through all these doors of saying, yes. I'm like, what if like, I just get one slammed in my face, like as I'm in the doorway, getting this transplant that like, nope, didn't work. You know, I was expecting something else wrong with my body. I, at that point I had been like, oh, and four of like, could maybe something wrong with my body? Yes, it is. Like, and so I, cause like, you know, what if, you know, they go and hook it up in there and they're like, there's no, like, oh, weird. There's nothing in here. No way to connect it. You know, I just went in a very extreme, but I, it was just my anxiety and fear. Um, I woke up and they told me that it worked. Um, and that wake up was incredibly terrifying though. That was the scariest surgery to wake up from. Um, I didn't expect to be so confused and in pain. Um, and then I ended up, there was like weird, random things that happened. Like for some reason on the very last surgery, they decided not to give me a central line. They did everything through the IV and they're press, they're pressing some serious, um, anti-rejection medication and steroids. And for the three, no, I think five, five days you're in the hospital, right? Jeez. Um, anyways, but for like the, like those days I kept, because they didn't give me a central line for my medication and these meds are really hard. Um, I kept blowing my IVs. So I, yes, I was in pain here, but I was like on, of course, like pain management. And it was, I, you know, it's hard to stand. One of the things they want to make you do is like stand up straight, you know, cause you're cut, you know, belly button, just right, right up to the vulva, just like right there. Um, or labia, labia. Um, and it, um, but my arms were in so much pain. Like that was really um, like trauma, traumatizing. And I actually have like a, like a PTSD with IVs now, which is fun. <laughs> like just super fun now that every time I have to get an IV because I'm medically complicated, I have a panic attack because I spent so much time in a lot of pain afterwards. Um, so, but this was something, you know, I talked to my nurses, this is what they learned. Like, okay, well, we tried to not give one of our people a, 
central line and we have to. So I was a part of the guinea pig thing. I was a guinea pig, you know, and this, this is who I'm, who they are. At that point, they'd already done 19. Like I was very low on the, like, like I was one of the last women to figure things out, but I provided them with some other challenges throughout <laughs> to figure what out. Um, guinea pigs are for, eh? <laughs> that's what we're for, that's what we do, baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, but, but as far as like the uterus went, it was doing great. There was, oh, it was so weird. Elevate. Oh my gosh. It was so weird. They have a wire in like connected to a machine, like in your stuff that goes through the incision. That's like, it's got these little like clips and it's like clipped on to, um, the artery, some of the arteries to make sure the blood flow is there. So for like days, you turn wow. boom, boom, boom. And I just, I did not like the like I felt very made like the matrix. Like I was very hooked up, like because I had a what's the one you pee in? Just whatever. The one you pee in, the tube to the bag that you pee in. So I'm like hooked up. Oh, like a cast, yeah. Yeah, cast I'm cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a wire in my stomach. I have wires all in my arms. I, it it was hard, but Bloody it was wow. like so good. restricted as well. Like you can't just get yeah. up. You're almost like yeah, and so. So, but then because it works, like it was getting through the first two weeks was what, that's like the danger zone for rejection Mm. um, is the first two weeks. And I got through the first two weeks, like it was good. Like everything, you know, they, they're doing a lot of medication adjustments. You're on like a high doses of medication um, and it went good. And so that meant now we're just moving forward. Um, But in that, so basically, so then from transplant, like the next, um, milestone you're gonna love this is getting your first period yeah that's what I'm so desperate to know about I was fascinated to know that people that get womb transplants obviously get a period can I just quickly before the period yeah I can't wait to hear about the period um the I know you had it from a live donor yes they take that from her like were they were you in the same room or was she near you or did they kind of transport their womb somewhere that one yeah and then because there was other one there's other deceased donors aren't there that they yeah so how so was yours always going to be a live one did they do some deceased ones for some of the other women or so the way our trial worked was what is available so it could be from yeah a live altruistic which what I had like not connected to me just giving a um live like somebody you know like donating their uterus that you happen to have all the right connection you know medical connections or a cadaver so in our trial I think there were three cadaver ones and only one worked oh wow yeah um and then there was I think just one person that like like BYOD bring your own donor Mm -hmm. (laughs) um that's brilliant (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah and her transplant worked um yeah the rest were like they had like a just a bunch of people that applied to donate their uterus they had there you know there were tons of qualifications um but the the people that donated had to have had children had to have given birth like carried given birth in that that uterus and that and it didn't matter if they had a c-section or or not um kind of similar to a surrogate because i think you can't a surrogate can't um be a surrogate unless they've given birth the womb works they've kind of been through it before so um, yeah yeah anyway you had which is freaking period (laughs) yeah well well well, hold on but which is interesting though because I have like I have plenty of friends who um 
are like child-free by choice. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I'm not, and we'll never use this. Can I give it to someone? But because they haven't done that, they can't. And I, 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 I know that at some point they'll start playing around with that Mm. because like, what a great thing to, I mean, obviously hello for anyone to just give something like an organ, no matter what it is to another person is incredible. Um, so like to be able to give that and not have had children. Cause I think it's a little bit too, between you and me and everyone who listens a little bit of that, um, kind of like internalized misogyny of, well, what if you change your mind? You know, like the reasons like women can't get all these different like procedures for like their health because, well, you know, what if you want to have, what if a man wants to have your baby late, you'd have his baby later. Exactly. Yeah. You know, people should be able to make the choices about their body. And as soon as they're adult able. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm I don't think that's a huge part of it, but I, suspect that it's the they don't want them to regret it because you know to give away a uterus and then they wanted to have a kid later you know it's is what it is but um yeah so I was able I had my um yeah mine came from altruistic and her obviously her surgery went well because she yeah. alive and kicking gave me her ute yay, yay. <laughs> um so okay so then in that Actually, leading up to my period. Oh, leading up to my first period. I forgot about this. These two things that are an important, kind of important part of the story. So for one, I was having, um, there's, you're always kind of fighting a battle with rejection. Mm. And um, there's not like a word between like stable and rejection. So because you can be in like mild rejection, but the uterus isn't like dead and falling out at that moment it's basically the only word they have to describe when your um like white blood cells are recognizing this foreign tissue and going on the attack so um like three or four weeks after surgery when it was like okay this worked like we're we're moving forward um i was you know trying to find a place for us to to live um my husband oh we (laughs) We got married at 11 o'clock at night after work one day in the oh, summer before yes. because I needed his insurance. It was this is brilliant. Woo yeah. was like, go, go, go. Marriage, go, go, go. Yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> so at that point, yeah, he was my husband and we never had a big old ceremony, ceremony but whatever, it works. <laughs> so anyway, so my husband, Chris, he, he came back to Nevada to pack up the whole house. Like we half packed because if it didn't take, we didn't want to like unpack everything, but also, you know, what can we start now? And so, you know, I'm so grateful for my support network I have because like, um, my, my, you know, my parents and my sister and, um, like some, like our friends and stuff and my husband's family, like came and packed up our house and our U-Haul. And then Chris, you know, made a couple driving trips because he also had to drive all the animals down, um, and all of our stuff. Um, but, in that time, so I was, so he was here and I was starting to get rejection and I was in Dallas by myself and the uterus, I kept having tests coming back. I was going to have to do like infusions and stuff. Like I was scared. I was really scared. Um, cause we're fighting this. And then, um, cause this was like my, this was, <laughs> I reached this like quitting point where I was like, 
I made a really bad decision. I made the wrong decision because while I'm going through rejection by myself in this, like it was, it was hard to do everything. It was hard to do anything by myself. I, something about like the environment in that Airbnb, because it was a cement box, like I felt very oppressive. Mm. And then my, um, my husband's dad was passing away. And so oh, I know it, it was, uh, I'm there. I can't be there for him while his, he's losing his dad. Mm. He can't be there for me while I'm, you know, we're all, you know, me and the team, we're worried I'm losing the uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, it, it was super hard. Um, and cause you're not supposed to travel for some, they don't want you traveling for a while after you have the transplant because, um, you know, if something happens, they want you close. Um, and so ultimately he did, his dad did, um, end up passing and they gave me like an extension to, or not an extension, but like a little except exception to kind of come back for the um funeral and everything which was one of those things like I, I, it's an important part of the story to me because I didn't realize how ne- how much I needed to come back and see my mom mm. <laughs> and some of my friends um even though my mom like they came right after surgery but um I wasn't I also was had no way to know that was the last time I was going to see them until um a year later because of the pandemic mm, cool. um yeah. So it was, it was, it, that was that, um, that September was incredibly hard. It was the hardest, the hardest month that we've gone through. Um, so anyway, so then I, can we kind of, we do that. I come home and now I want to go on to the happy thing, <laughs> the exciting, got my period. So they That's tell scary, you, though. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. So you're bleeding from when it starts, from when you get the transplant, you're, you're just kind of bleeding a bit. Cause you know, they, they had to like, they, they cut a hole in the top of, you know, my self-made vaginal canal. Vaginal canal yeah. 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 To sew in. So from, from my donor, they, you know, they take the uterus, the cervix, and then just like a sliver of her, like the top of her vaginal tissue. Imagine vagina because they don't want to cut into cervix at all. Like, mm-hmm. um, I had no idea how important the cervix is for so much. Um, uh, so they had to, so yeah, they, they cut, you know, cut a hole and sewed it on. So like, there's just like, you know, they're just kind of like bleeding. There's a lot of stitch work and everything. And, you know, just, then there's like, you know, discharges and pus mm-hmm. and just lots of fluids coming out. So I had been wearing, you know, pads and, or those, you know, you know, fancy designed adult diapers, and then things are calmed down, um, after, you know, post, you know, a lot of the post-surgical stuff is healed. Um, and so at anywhere between, I think they say it's like two and eight weeks, you'll get your first period because I, you know, you know, I have actually very regular, consistent hormones. Um, and so, and it's your hormones that control, actually control menstruation. So I was all, you know, I ovulate every single month. I just never had any, you know, there's nothing to catch that ovulation and there's nothing to shed. So, so at, it was like eight weeks on the dot. Um, I woke up just, with so much blood and it looks so weird. Oh my God. I, li- I literally cannot even imagine I talk I, about periods all the time now when like have a womb and all that sort of stuff, but yeah, having never had one, the feeling of like, don't know. Yeah. That's just crazy. Uh, and- just to suddenly being like a 30 something woman, just having blood pouring out your vagina. Like, ha- yeah, that must've been mental for you. 
It was <laughs> meant all. Oh, that's a but good like, word. That's really word. exciting. Was it kind of exciting? It was. So like we were yeah. waiting though, because then it got, I was like a little concerned because I'm like, what is taking so long? Like, am I again waiting for my period again? Like, yeah, back to square one. <laughs> back to square one. Uh, um, I'm 11 years old again, waiting for my first period. Um, so it, and it wasn't happening. So when it did, I'm like, oh my God, like that's period blood. Um, a cool when in the trial we get um there's two nurse coordinators and um we get to text them whatever we need because everything like this is creating the program and everything is so nuanced with each person mm-hmm. um you don't want to have to go through like triage for every little thing so i like i have sent so many pictures of like bloody pads and underwear and stuff to them um so i'm like this is my period because it was just like it was just blood. It was like a bunch of blood. And I think I was still wearing a pad every night because just anything that was coming out or that was like pus or whatever. Just like healing um, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Healing. And it was very, and so I had to, I, I decided to make things a little bit harder on myself. This is it. Like, this is, it, this is sad, but it ended up being okay. Um, I had a friend from back in Nevada, him and his wife had moved to a state right next to Missouri and right next to Texas. He had uh, brain cancer, ended up passing away um, when they lived there. It was super sad. And I hadn't seen them in a long time. Um, and they also, they were a part of my church. It's like me getting my divorce and everything. Like I, lost that whole network of people but didn't like there was no bad blood I just like I was in a I was in a phase of my life where I needed to like separate myself but I was like you know what I'm six hours away from these people from from my friend Jen who was her husband who passed away I was like I don't think anyone else from Nevada is going to be able to come to this funeral I'm right here I'm going to go I'm just going to Chris wasn't there in town I'm just going to go and support her because oh my God, she lost her husband. She's 40 years old. Like that is so sad. And that was the day I got my first period. So the day I get my first period, I have to drive six hours by myself, Uh. which meant that I had to deal with my first period in public restrooms and gas stations. I there Did is a gas station. Pads, tampons. What was pads. that? You're not allowed to use tampons. You're not allowed to use. Ta- oh, okay. Yeah. Um, because they just sensitive, or they just don't want something going up there. Anything else just going in up. Case. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And they don't even want you using like the reusable period underwear. Mm-hmm. Um, just be, just they want to just prevent any chance of infection because mm-hmm. if you remember, we our, our immune systems are removed. immune system. You're on like anti like the autoimmune mm-hmm. drugs, like everything. Yeah. So we, so they, so they're like just pads. So I'm like, I, I remember the exact public restroom. I got blood everywhere. I got it. <gasps> I, I, I did my duty, but I'm like, I am a novice. I am 30 mm. years old getting my first period, deciding to make this drive because it was very important to me for whatever reason to do this. And like in this public restroom, like trying to, t- it's a mess. It was a mess. There was so much blood. I couldn't believe that much blood could come out of me and I was still standing. <laughs> like, and this is how that girls feel. Been, yeah, so many girls feel. Blowing. Yeah, as a preteen or whatever. Like, mm. how come this? How come this? So, anyways, I did it. I um with the transplant, you don't that you they don't connect any nerves, but nerves naturally make their own connections. Mm. And there was just a lot of pressure, like on the sides and in my back but not so it was like oh I bet if I could feel everything I'd be having wicked awful cramps right now 
so you didn't necessarily feel like the connection of the womb was that not really oh that's fascinating so like even when I was pregnant and like she would kick and move like she would mm. need to like kick enough to hit like muscle and other tissue like there there's no way to really know for sure like the how much you know we and the transplant then the trial mm-hmm. felt versus like somebody you know using a uterus they were born with um mm-hmm. but I know it wasn't as much so yeah so, so like it was like I could feel the cramping when it like it affected my the rest of my body yeah not yeah, the actual yeah. like uterus I didn't I couldn't feel it because it wasn't it wasn't mine yeah no of course I didn't even think about that like what you could Mm -mm. feel see so what at what point well what point were you kind of ready to have the transfer of the of your embryo yeah so I had a couple more like rejection things so it kind of got pushed out um and by the way the way they check for rejection like they're you they you know you they you give their blood give blood all the time checking different levels and whatever but um they can tell some inflammation by like a blood test, but they can't actually test for rejection any other way, but a cervical biopsy. Ah, wow. Okay. So we are, and because it's not my cervix, can't, can't feel it, can mm-hmm. feel it, but it's not like a pain pain. Cause they literally take this like long, um, it's like a whole, it's like a hole puncher, but it's like tiny and mm-hmm. to literally take a chunk out of your cervix. And then they test that. Um, so like, and this was, this is always super hard because you're having, you know, having ultrasounds to check for blood flow, like at least for the first months, like every week. And then it's like every mm-hmm. couple weeks, um, as it goes on and these, you know, blood and cervical biopsies. Um, and so I, I, every day that that happened, you know, cause they're having to go through like scar tissue, you know, our bodies want to heal themselves. So my body wanted mm-hmm. to close that hole they made, um, and so they kind of have to stretch it open and, you know, they had like these like small kind of, um, what's the thing, the duck bell. Yeah, anyway. like, so, yeah. So they're like trying to, they're like opening that through stitch work and it was so painful, so painful, yeah. um, but they need to keep it open. Cause they need to be able to get like the tissue and everything. Mm. So, so I was having some rejection, but then I got to start on the medication in December of 2019 to have start prepping the, my, my body to do an embryo transfer. And then, so we did all of that. And then in January, on January 20th of 2020, um, I had my transfer appointment. We had six embryos. They were going to take the top quality and there was a top quality boy and girl. So it was a roll, you know, roll of the dice and just, and then, then it became the waiting game of, cause at that point there had only been one other per girl. Um, and she was the one that was right before me who had kind of gotten pregnant and it stayed mm-hmm. because when I joined the trial, most, or at that point, everybody um, was having at least one failed transfer or a miscarriage. So I go into it expecting I will like, I don't, I'm really excited about this pregnancy, but it's, I'm probably going to lose it. Like, cause there's so much they figure out medication wise, like how to for that grief as well. Yeah. So I had, so I was like, okay, like I can't get too attached, but I also like, I want to provide like a, a, like a loving, warm, safe, like space, you know, we don't know what the, what like embryos like can know or comprehend. Like, so I just wanted to provide like a healthy environment 
for the embryo, but also didn't want to get too emotionally attached in case the transfer failed or I miscarry. I was like, but if I miscarry, like, will I be sad later on that I didn't like let myself love the embryo? And then it ended up like miscarry, you know, like I could not have overthought it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but every single day it was still there. And we ultimately ended up found out was she, and uh, it's just still there. And um, there were a lot of scary moments. I had um, a subchorionic hematoma, which basically means there's like, like blood clotting kind of collecting between the um, placenta and the womb, and then it falls out. Mm-hmm. And so when like I'm pregnant and, you know, she's like, you know, little, little tiny, this big, but she's still like a dense matter. And then you go to the bathroom and there's all this blood and like chunks of stuff. You're like, is that, is that my baby right there? Yeah. Cause that's must be really like the symptoms of miscarriage and the, oh yeah. my gosh. And just so there was one time that was so bad and I just broke down crying. I was, you know, I saw my first tri- trimester. Um, no, I was out of my first trimester and, and there was like a big chunk that came out and I'm like, oh my gosh. that's her like that's her um but and yeah it just it she she kept holding on strong yeah clinging on she just was like attached to the walls oh I love this yeah um so how how was pregnancy I know I mean there's there's genuinely like the details of a womb transplant like there's just so many questions about how you sort of def- redefined like being a woman because you've obviously been a woman and uh, yeah and how pregnancy was and how did you find mm. like how did you cope with that grief god it's so hard to word the question because you were like someone without a womb and then you were someone with a womb like a woman without a womb then a woman with a womb and then obviously a pregnant woman but obviously maybe before that you had grieved and looked at pregnant people and being like I'm never going to be that how did you feel being pregnant just that that's the question I think (laughs) I know it was so huh it was it was I always felt like I was looking at somebody else Mm. I couldn't truly grasp still to this day I cannot believe I did it I can't believe it happened because I had gotten I mean, you have no other choice to be fine, but with, with your diagnosis, you have, I had no choice. I am born without a uterus. I will be, that's just it. That just is like, I, so what you get, when you're, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I had one time. Yeah, so being pregnant was like, it's the, it had like those fears. Cause I kept having like these like bleeding scares. Um, but it also was God, it was super cool. Okay. I will just say this. Like I got to like, you go in and they do an ultrasound, um, which having, you know, MRKH and then, you know, having like losing an ovary and everything. I've had a lot of ultrasounds that were bad things where something is wrong or having like every time you go to an ultrasound for something abdominal, maybe this is just me because kind of mentioned before, like I have a lot of medical just issues in my body. Um, I always have to say, there's no uterus there. I, I was born with that one. Oh yeah, I'll tell you all about it. Like I, I'm sounding a little condescending, but I would tell them genuinely. But um, I got to go to ultrasounds to look at life being fucking made in my body that was never supposed to happen. It was never supposed to, like it was, 
it was the miracle, the, the science miracle of all science miracles. Um, and that is what kept me going because it also was too hard. It was super hard. And I, there are other girls that I know that had like, you know, had to be hospitalized a bunch and um, had to have like their cervix like sewn shut because they were having it's like an insufficient cervical issue. Um, for me, it was just a lot of pain, a lot of puking. I couldn't eat. You still have to take all these medications um, because of an autoimmune disorder I have. I have a really weak swallow. So I have to take all these medications. But then it hits my gag reflex and I was all, I'm already nauseous just from morning sickness. That was all day sickness. That was all pregnancy. Um, so I'm just spending so much time like vomiting. You have to, I had to give myself a shot once or twice a day. Now I can't remember. I think it was twice a day in the stomach. I had to give myself my, uh, these, these shots. Um, yeah, the fatigue, I don't want like the fatigue, the migraines, like <laughs> it was, and I, I want, I just want to be real about it because I know that, um, a lot of like girls like us are going to come to this podcast with these questions, like want to know the truth with these questions, but, and I don't want to, um, be misleading. Like it was all sunshine and rainbows and beautiful and everything. It was really hard. I'm so lucky and I'm so grateful. I got to do this and I'm glad like it worked, (laughs) it worked out, but it was, incredibly hard during. Um, and yeah, I was starting to get, uh, and, and though, but because it was so hard, I was a very depressed, um, and anxious, really anxious. Um, I started getting like, as like a prepartum like anxiety. Um, and I was, I was like just getting into my second trimester, I think, or still my first, I can't quite remember when, uh, the pandemic happened. So I'm already in Dallas and or wait, okay, that doesn't mean I'm in a city that is like very far away from like everybody I know. I have some, I, I made some friends with um, other girls in the trial, which was great. I could not have done it without them. <laughs> um, but uh, I, then this happened like a week or two before my family was planning to come out and see me. And you remember, you know, in the early days in the pandemic, it was like, like no travel, like everyone was being like very safe and everything. And so they weren't coming out. And, um, that ended up being really hard. Like I'm going through this big miraculous thing and I can't travel home and they, nobody can come to see me. And I'm, it's just me and my husband and all our animals in our little house. And for the first six months, um, my stepdaughter, Sammy, she couldn't come see us from Nevada because of the, for the same reason. So like, it's, it is heartbreaking and hard. And, and it's amazing that our relationship is still very strong because we were just stuck together, just us. And um, so anyway, so it was a difficult process. It was, yeah. So there, and then there were, um, like I said, like those bleeding episodes, which were really emotionally exhausting. And then I started to get preeclamptic. Um, which is like a blood pressure issue, which can be very dangerous to mom and baby. Um, and I was also, oh, this is what the other thing I, I got, um, I was like, why was it so hard? I couldn't, can't remember. And I felt like I wasn't communicating it right, but I had the first case of like rejection, like rejection while pregnant. So there was a period that was 
20, 20 or 21 weeks. Oh no, it started at 17 weeks is what it was. Um, so, you know, I've announced I'm pregnant. I, you know, like baby's growing and everything. We still like in that in viability, which is very scary that whole, like the whole, whole time. And I started my, the uterus started to reject and then started to really reject. And then it got all the way to like severe rejection. Oh, so scary. So scary. So they're like, you know, monitoring, I'm going in all the time, getting like, you know, hole punching my cervix, looking at, um, doing the ultrasound and the blood flow was never compromised, which that's, what's important. But, um, so then they had to basically like the doctor had to like, look up, like, other like cases of a pregnant person who with like a different type of organ transplant and the medications and what happens when they reject. And there's only ever been one other case ever. It was like a one a woman with a kidney transplant got pregnant and the kidney started rejecting while she was pregnant because so much of these medications are, are, are completely untested in a pregnant person. So there was this like, what do we do? Um, so I got like pump full of steroids, but there was they like, you know, I had to have like a, you know, very like devastated, tearful conversation with one of the nurses being like, you know, I, I like, I want to fight for my baby, but I also like, if we just make it a couple more weeks, like she's viable at like 22 or 23 weeks, but like, is that a life for her? Like, is that, is that the right decision just to like, you know, be hospitalized and just like hold on so she can get to that. But, you know, when a baby is like born that early, there are like significant health consequences for the rest of their lives. Like questions people, you know, debate for a long time. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, it's potentially going to be something that comes up. Thankfully they were able to get the the rejection like backed off but I actually stayed in a mild rejection the rest of my pregnancy so I'm taking extra steroids on top of everything um steroids make you nuts mm. <laughs> like so I'm like I'm so grumpy like I am a happy hormones pregnancy yes. <gasps> yes and so all that I'm like so grumpy and I'm so fatigued and I'm so afraid and that but then it got to a point because this my cer- the cervix the donor cervix was highly vascular so then this was part of why I was like kind of having bleeding but so they would like do the ultrasound and um they couldn't get a good measurement of like how long it was which is a part mm-hmm. of pregnancy like when it starts to short it shortens when you're going to give birth but when the baby's still growing it needs to be you know I'm doing this because that's what it was like on the screen. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it, ne- long. <laughs> it needs to be this long. <laughs> um, but like it needs to be like a long because it's holding, you know, the mucus, all the plug, the mucus, mm-hmm. it's holding the baby in. Um, but they couldn't see it very well because it was super vascular. But then because it's vascular and they're and they're doing like my biopsies, it got to a point they're like, oh shit, like if we pop a bleeder, that can that like all that bleeding can trigger labor. And so as it gets closer to like, like it was like 25 plus weeks, um, they don't want to accidentally cause a labor or of too much bleeding or something. So then I had to start getting what was uh, always a, um, like just like in office procedure, whatever, snippy, snippy, had to now be a like a, a like surgical procedure because they also would do these pre- procedures to um, open up the stricture, like the 
stone closed to kind of keep that keep it open so that they could get, do what they needed to do in there and so they would have to do that under surgery so i had four five four or five surgeries while i was pregnant like oh, surgery wow. surgeries but um procedures under anesthesia so they could take a sample open up the stricture to make sure they could body do... has been through yeah so much. <laughs> and it was so it wasn't it wasn't funny but it was it was funny afterwards because i was so my whole job for the entire time i was in this trial was like or when i was pregnant like my job was just keeping lydia alive but will become lydia i was keeping the baby alive um i couldn't go to work i couldn't like, do anything else keep her alive. and so I was terrified to go under anesthesia because I'm knocked out I can't do you know I like I'm squeezing and holding her in all the time I was like I can't do my job and so they said I, I was like pan, I was having a full-blown panic attack like tears streaming down my face crying my eyes out because they're gonna put me under and I'm so terrified of anesthesia while I'm pregnant blah, blah, blah. and the oh. nurse tell, tells me she's like it was hilarious. She goes, like, you were just crying, crying, crying. And the guy pushes the syringe and you're just like, ah, ah. passed out. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you were just out. She's like, I should have talked out a video. We were all cracking up. I'm like, well, good. I'm glad I made you guys laugh. I was <laughs> yeah, because I was freaking panicking. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. So there were just so many of those moments that were just like, so it's such a weird experience because like every you know all like friends stuff that I have pregnant like they have all these like weird things that happen too it just it felt so monumentous you know because it was this transplant do you feel like you've got to because obviously being a woman that's pregnant because of a womb transplant there's obviously like it's a high risk pregnancy isn't it so they kind of have you in quite a lot do you yes. feel like you just got to enjoy pregnant life <laughs> like do stuff with friends and do you know what I mean just like day-to-day -day socializing be out was just like do you know what I mean because I could feel like you probably were in and out of hospital like it was probably, yeah would you say t maybe a lot tougher than I guess all pregnancies are different I've oh. got no freaking idea <laughs> like yeah, I no. have friends that don't have MRKH that have been pregnant said it was the most awful thing and it was it was sick but then other friends that just loved it and they felt amazing so I feel like you just you never really know in comparison because it's everyone's yeah. just like this <laughs> so I like you know I loved it while also being miserable and and sometimes hating it to be honest um I felt which is so I felt so robbed in some ways but at the same time also knowing that just me being pregnant was the great was the great gift because mm -hmm. I it was it was during COVID like I like went out to less than four lunches the entire pregnancy with just some of the girls in the trial um because we also like you know we're we're high risk pregnancies period and then there's a pandemic that would like that could help there's COVID that they had you know especially early on they just weren't sure we're not going to take any chances with you guys so we are isolated i couldn't i wanted oh, and it's so silly you know like i wanted my friends and my mom and my sister and just people i wanted to get mad that someone tried to touch my belly you know like i but i didn't i didn't have course, like the people yeah. in my life couldn't come up to me and like oh my gosh you're pregnant i sorry potentially yeah because um if everything is going good like you can travel home to like visit people you know like just go on a little like trip home but that wasn't an option. Mm. Um, so like, I couldn't, like, I, we had, we know I didn't get a baby shower. We did a zoom baby shower, oh, but yeah, it, of course, you know, and it was, 
I was so neurotic and messed up in my head. Like I couldn't even like fully, my sweet husband planned my baby shower, which is so nice because I was just like, you know, I was just, it was, it was sad. It was sad. I was, it was great. It was wonderful. I was really grateful mm. for my friends, but um, it was also sad. And I was afraid to ask too much. And I just, I, between just my own issues, struggles with like chronic anxiety and um, insecurity and codependence, on top of like all the hormones and then just the way I felt like I was just a, like, I, I say a hot mess in the way, like not even cute. Like I was just a mess. Like, um, so I, yes, all I got to do was be pregnant. Like I didn't have to go to work or any of that, but I didn't get to like, be pregnant in society. Like, be pregnant in society. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yep. Cause that's sort of the, that's the, the pregnancy things that I personally get the, you know, like the, the feelings of like the jealousy feelings when you're younger and you're looking at pregnant people, it's like the family being around, people going, oh, you're glowing or not. <laughs> and like just having the, the comments and walking into work and people knowing you're pregnant. And I think that's the whole pregnancy, like fan, fantasy. Fantasy. Thing, like, yeah, yeah. So I feel like your, your pregnancy, your whole thing was just a freaking miracle of science, but actually it was all hidden away. And you're like, hey, this was stolen from me when I was younger. I want everyone to see me pregnant now. And I know, well, like, obviously, like people with infertility that you, you probably felt like the other end of it because you're now, yeah. do you know what I mean? So, yeah, how, how did you navigate that? Like other people, their market age and the feelings of being kind of someone chosen for this amazing thing that other people want, like, I don't know, but I, I, personally, I think I just admire you for the bravery because they obviously needed people to do this trial. Not many people, yeah. even though we all like have that dream of having a womb, that's fucking scary. Like that's it, scary shit that you've been it, through. Yeah, I think I should have considered it more. <laughs> like I, I'm so, it was so, I'm so glad I did it. I don't think I would have done, if I'd known everything, I don't know if I would have done it again. Like I, if like, if I could have looked baby aside, okay, I'll put that like, cause that like obviously changes everything. Like the fact that it, it brought me my daughter. Um, but if I could have seen everything I would go through in that 15 months, I don't think I would have made the same decision. <laughs> it would, and, and, and not to say I'm not grateful, obviously I will never stop being grateful, but it was really hard and it was a lot to consider. And I just was, even my mom was like, you're kind of being a little cavalier about this decision, Mary. And, and I'm like, well, I want to do it. Like, you don't know, mom, like you were born with your uterus, uh, but it's so, but then I th I'm, I'm having this transplant though, when I'm introduced to the MRKH community. So it's like, I feel like I carry a, like, I, have, I, I try to remain very humble about like a privilege, like mm. I got to do it, which now having gone through it, I, I, I'm still learning how to communicate this. And it's something I'll have to kind of work out, but like that, this isn't the answer for us. Mm. That transplant isn't actually the like cure, quote unquote, like the cure or like the solution um, because from my perspective, now having done this, this, the, the solution is more like finding identity within yourself that you already have. Um, 
that there isn't actually a cure for MRKH. Um, there are options, but there's no cure. And so look, looking to transplant to cure you will, like, it, it will never fulfill that. It is one path and a way to bearing a child, but it's not a cure. And um, I was, I'm happy to have made the sacrifice, laid that down, processing all of the emotions that go along with it. Um, it's, I mean, at the same time, like if someone's gonna do, like I'm all for people navigating this path. Um, I, but the same way that people, like the, the team tried to like, you know, prepare us for what we were going to go through. You just, you can't fully prepare somebody for what it's going to take on you. Because as much as I can't fully communicate, like how hard it was, I also can't fully communicate how amazing it was. You know, it's, it's, it's a really interesting, like, like, it's yeah. just incredible. But yeah, no, I think that's, that's a really amazing point to make. And I feel like the penny dropped a little bit in my own head about it then when you said mm -hmm. that like there's a lot of for example dilating that's the cure to our bodies and mm -hmm. the cure to making everything normal yep. having a baby is to feel like sometimes I have people say to me you'll be fine you'll be you'll feel absolutely fine when you have your baby but even my friends that MRKH friends that have gone through surrogacy and had a baby that way yes they're so excited that they've become a mum or a parent mm -hmm and they've had their baby but that doesn't just get rid of all the grief and the things that you've been through and the things that you yeah. didn't have when you were younger and how that has changed and altered your life and your mind and who you are like there's no cure to freaking everything in life and obviously it's because MRKH isn't an illness it's just something yes. that we have <laughs> yes um, yeah but I get I get a lot of just I get to have conversations with some of the most beautiful souls. I just feel like, and I'm going to, I can say this because it's an MRKH podcast that like what we lack in womb, we make up for in strength of character and just beauty of soul. I get to talk to these, I just get these, these girls and I'll get a lot of young girls too, that just come in so scared. Um, so uh, devastated and we've all been there whether you found out for, for some reason, like really early on in life, or you found out traumatically because you didn't get a period, um, there's, it's still traumatic, like, uh, and look to what I went through. So, because I am a face of it to me, which like, it's not me, but like, they look through that as a way to cure them of what ails them. Um, and, you know, I try my best to, you know, communicate, but I just want to like reach through my screen and just hug them because like, they are so just they are so good and perfect and worthy and we all like as just them right now like being being born a little different does not actually mean being born wrong um like it's and the, yeah it's like this isn't going to like you said it's not a disease that needs a cure but that that is a lot that is a common language that i hear um coming through my messenger and then i just like i think if everybody had a different path to like all the girls that went through these, these different trials, like the ones all around the world that go through it. Like you can you have to come to a certain degree of acceptance of your diagnosis and of yourself to be mentally and emotionally strong enough to go through it. If um, you are going to like, it's like, if you're looking to this to fix you, you 
baby's awake. <laughs> want to like wrap up my pregnancy thing. I, so Lydia ended up being, so I, I was pregnant. Um, it was really hard. And then, um, on labor day of 2020, is it September 7th? I went into spontaneous labor because they don't. So with this, this is interesting. Um, they don't want, uh, Yes, to go into labor because of that, like that whole like feeling thing. Like we aren't, um, she's being super funny. Um, we aren't able to feel everything. I love that Lydia's woken up when we started talking about Lydia. This is perfect. <laughs> I know she did good. She is asleep for two hours. So we've moved on the country, don't yeah, she like Lydia, you've smashed this podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yes. Response, there's no um no one gives birth do they uh, sorry I know that you've given yes. birth as in you've literally grown a baby and you're giving birth because cesareans are just as worthy as births yes <laughs> so yeah you but yeah it's a cesarean because of the because of the risk or because of the pain or what's yes and all of the above like so so yeah, for yeah. one they don't want us to go into labor because labor requires a lot there's so much happening mm -hmm. that something could you know people just a traditional pregnancy like when you go into labor something can happen wrong scary like happens all the time probably every day all around the world we mm -hmm. can't feel everything we don't have the proper connections um must you know like like the like it's just a lot of that is either unknown or we just, it's just like not there um so they don't want us to go into labor just because they're like you know we don't want we just want to be be cautious it's just like it's an abundance of caution if that's actually that really sums up the trial like it's an abundance of caution mm -hmm. everything is over cautious so they don't want us to go past 38 weeks so you're just kind of told 38 weeks like if everything goes good um but at this point i think only one pregnancy has made it that far um, yeah. like, I think the earliest was like 28 weeks. Mm. I think that was our first baby, um, in the trial, like, uh, but don't quote me on that, but it's, no, a, no, no, I, yeah, yeah, but it's just interesting to know. Yeah. So, so I was, so, so, but because of the, um, preeclampsia or like borderline preeclamptic, they kept like pulling back my date, you know, they're like, okay, well, 37 and a half weeks. Okay. 37 weeks in scheduling a, a, a surgery because they, oh, as far as vaginal versus cesarean, um, they said one of the nurses told me that potentially they could do a vaginal birth if it was like a small early baby mm. because of the stitch work and all that, like they would definitely be like under definitely under epidural, like all of that. Um, but it wasn't, it's like low on the very low on the priorities for them to figure out, um, for safety's sake, just like, so they, um, they want to just, they go through the same incision, the vertical incision, and then do a horizontal on the uterus, remove the baby. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, so yeah, I, we, like my date kept being kind of pushed up, pushed up. Um, and then like my parents planned to come out and then I had, it was the weekend before labor day. Um, I, I had, um, if you, I'm sure you've heard of like nesting, like that, like a lot of pregnant women get like this of nesting, you know, you're like going frantic, cleaning the house and doing all the things I hadn't happened to me, but that weekend I was like, 
I'm so grossed out by carpets in general, but like these are rental carpets. And I'm like, we can't bring a baby home to all these carpets. You to Chris, I'm like, you need to like get a carpet cleaner and move all this furniture. I can't move the furniture. I'm a fragile pregnant lady. (laughs) (laughs) So I like make him like move all the furniture, get a rug doc, you know, carpet cleaner. He's cleaning the carpets. And in my whole pregnancy, like I couldn't sleep. Like I'm up till two or 3 a.m. And I'm like taking lots of naps in the day, but only sort of like, it was just hard to the whole thing. I was just mm-hmm. like, I couldn't really get sleep. But that night, um, like all of the furniture was like out. It was in like the dining room where there was tile. Um, so the house is crazy. I actually go to bed early. I'm like in bed at nine o'clock. I'm feeling very tired. And I get a full night's rest. Like it was, it was like my last full night's rest until Lydia's like a teenager. Oh. <laughs> like the only one I got during pregnancy. And then it was, it was like my, it was, it was the swinging door between I woke up at six 30 in the morning and I felt myself peeing. I was like, Oh my gosh, my water broke. And so, and like, they don't it like, feels like, it feels like peeing. Yes. Like kind gush, of. It's like, it's, it's like, it's, it's just, it's, yeah. It's if you felt the water coming out, but you have no control. Oh, wow. But well, Okay. So come to find out that actually wasn't what was happening, but I, oh. I woke up Chris cause, cause okay. It's so like water breaking. So this was 35 weeks when this happened, mm-hmm. water breaking, isn't like an emergency, like it is on TV. Um, you have like a little bit of time. So I woke him up and I'm like, my water broke. Like our lives are about to change. You know, we just lay there for a minute and then I go, I hope it's not blood. Uh, so I, I, I pull the blankets back and I, I am a faucet of blood oh god this is like it was so so... up and down up and down Uh, right so yeah that's okay yeah right like it's yeah i've gone through your pregnancy with you i know so yeah so i'm like it was one of those moments that's so scary you have nothing no choice but to just act like I couldn't feel how scared I was I called mm. my nurse and like I'm bleeding like well how much are you bleeding <laughs> enough that I called you <laughs> like like bleeding bleeding and, and I couldn't tell if Lydia was moving because I was so like scared like kind of scared and messed up I couldn't tell but so we just had to go we went into the hospital luckily when I was driving like I could I felt her but like I'm like walking just like to the bathroom just like dripping blood it's just coming like it's there's so much blood happening it's just going through my underwear just out Um so we now have Lydia on the podcast welcome Lydia (laughs) yeah yay (laughs) hello (laughs) oh anyway um that is ironic this is when she made her debut in my story we were like right let's talk about like you being a mom and how you've like navigated being a woman with a womb and then without a womb no without a womb then with a womb then without a womb and then with Lydia without a womb um anyway yeah so in terms of navigating womanhood how how do you feel now and like how is the birth being a mum and and I know that you've had the womb taken out at the same time as Mm -hmm. having Lydia so yeah we'd love to hear about that yeah so when um so go well yes so we like I had her like on that day like I gave birth on 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 Labor Day um (laughs) and she uh 
and, you know that luckily that was all like easy breezy but about going into the trial you're told you get up to two like full-term pregnancies but there's no obviously there's no guarantees for anything so you know we go in going like we're gonna try for two Ugh. and then about halfway through or you know two-thirds of the way through the pregnancy you know and when it was so hard um i'm trying to make you know, sammy eventually did come join us and it was i was like i i can hardly be a stepmom to like an older kid while being pregnant i can't imagine having a toddler and being pregnant. Hello. Hi. Is, it, is she okay? Okay. Um, so anyways. This is uh, mum life, right? So <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, so so we had made, kind of made the decision, like I got lucky being pregnant, getting pregnant right away, um, staying pregnant, that I don't know if I would be willing, because they want you to start with start doing the process for IVF again, like four or five months after you give birth. I was like, I can't imagine doing this again while managing a baby slash toddler. So we kind of made the decision, like, I think just, I want, I don't want to risk waste, waste her first years or anything else. Well, not that it's a waste, uh, but like, because I could also do all that and then have miscarriages and everything. And I want it like, um, so we just made the decision for our family. It made sense to just do the one. And then when everything kind of went down and compounded later on in the pregnancy, it ended up, that was the only option at that point. So we went, you know, go to the hospital knowing baby's coming out and so is the uterus. So we um, yeah, gave birth to her, you know, they show me her over the screen. And then when she you know, looked good, was healthy hey. breathing yeah, i'm just making funny faces now just like I know. <laughs> um so she was breathing and healthy yeah. and then the uterus came out too yeah. um and then and then that became the next part of the journey which is now i'm a mom and she had a little bit of a nicu stay and i had just like some health stuff to go go over um but now I just got to be a mom and it wasn't those first couple months, you know, just, it's all about her. You know, I can't focus on myself or how I'm feeling or what kind of is going on inside me. You know, I'm having some, you know, baby blues. Um, they're a little bit different than postpartum. They're more just like kind of your emotional, like, like everything goes down. Um, but it's not like a full postpartum yet, at least for me. Um, but and then, you know, we, about almost three months after she was born, I got to, we got to meet Nikki. She came out to Dallas and got to, so I got to meet oh, wow. the donor. Amazing. She got to meet Lydia. How was your health, um, uh, Marianne? Like when, when you gave birth, like physically and, because obviously all those drugs and getting it taken well, out. Well, okay, your this is what's now. weird. Yeah, is I felt good. Like, because as soon as the uterus is out, like you don't have to take your meds anymore. Mm. Like, from taking like a dozen pills, a sitting is there and, a lot of like vaginal healing yeah that like that hurt um but I don't have much of a memory of it because mm. I was so focused on like this thing <laughs> this, this little beautiful baby. thing beautiful thing <laughs> like I was just focused on her so like I you know there was of course discomfort Why? yeah Why? and you know I have, I have not only a, <laughs> a incision in my vagina but you know, from my belly button down, that's healing and everything. Um, that got in, actually that got infected. That was scary. Um, mm. that's, it was just scary because like 
infections are always kind of freaky um antibiotics and things and i was able to breastfeed a little bit um but i've had like different procedures and stuff i was going to ask about breastfeeding like is that yeah it it was it um did you induce it or did it happen to your body kind of naturally with the pregnancy naturally you don't have to induce it because because the only like the only hardware you know missing was the uterus like the hormones Mm. do everything else um like they do they give all the triggers and everything you just needed like the box to put it in the baby in so my body like knew to make its own like milk um i never made enough to feed her fully but i had had um uh I, i i had breast implants um and then they had them, I had them replaced and then I had them removed. So I have a lot of scar tissue and incisions and stitch work inside my breast. So it was, I was very lucky. I could do even a little bit. Cause I didn't think I could do any, um, but it had nothing to do with the transplant. Like one of, for instance, one of the girls, she is able to breastfeed for like over a year and she gave us milk and like, she's donated tons of milk. And so it's just, and she has, you know, same condition MRKH. So it just depends on it's the same with, you know, traditional, like some women can breastfeed, some women can't. Um, it was the same with the transplants. Mm. Oh, so, incredible. yeah. And so we were able to like, you know, move back home because, you know, we were, we didn't have reason to stay there anymore. We got to meet Nikki mm. right before we left. She came out to Dallas, which is amazing. <laughs> um, but then like, so once I was home, once I, we were back, you know, we we're back into the house that we'd bought before, you know, we kept our house. That is when like, so now I was mom in my life again. It was such a, a surreal experience. I was in a, in a foreign, you know, foreign to me, like city doing this experience. I didn't have, you know, my friends and family around me. Um, so now I'm home and now I have to figure out, you know, the, the Marianne that, you know, likes to work like two at least two jobs at a time some uh, uh the marianne that has her family and her friends now i'm marianne as a mom and now i'm marianne that had had no uterus had a uterus and i didn't have again or as you put it because you say i love it you say womb by the way so oh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah no womb womb oh, and womb. no womb again so, <laughs> so that was like a whole thing and i ended up getting pretty bad postpartum um, actually really bad. Um, but through that, I've and like learning more about like my own mental health that like I said earlier on, like I have actually had anxiety my whole life. It just postpartum, like shined a light on how much help I needed and how much easier my life would have been if I just had support, mm-hmm. but I was such a self figure it out. I'm a tough it out. I do all of that. Um, but being a mom now made me have to, I owe it to Lydia to be the best like person I can be just to help her. Like she deserves, I try not to say she deserves a better mom than me because this sounds weird, but I actually think I'm a good mom. <laughs> like, I think I actually do a good job of being a mom, but she deserves the very best mom in the world. <laughs> like she deserves like the professional expert level mom. Um, so I work very, I, I now work really hard on my own um, self so that she can have that too. Um, 
and so no one is perfect right and I'm sure you're doing a bloody amazing job after everything your body's been through your mind's been through um, and like but yeah you're right there's no such thing as a perfect mom that doesn't mean I don't wish that for her no exactly yeah I know exactly what you mean like you want you want the best for your kids at the end of the day but one thing I didn't expect with coming out of this trial was feeling like I was diagnosed with MRKH again well okay as we know not officially diagnosed but you know I felt like I was I didn't expect that because I think I did go in with it no like knowing it's not a cure or anything but thinking it would change how I felt about me in a way you know um I and then I, I felt so I, you know, I felt sad. Like I, I was, I got to have a uterus, but I didn't get to keep it. Um, which means I'm still different. You know, like this is like the talk to myself, like I'm still weird, quote unquote. Um, I'm still, still don't have, you know, a period. I only got, only got those four before I was pregnant. Um, and I don't like have, it's, I don't have the option to get pregnant again. I know it's like another cycle. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. I have to go back to, to like go to how I, how I was, which I had been okay with, but now I had to like re go through that and like realizing, okay, like this isn't a quick fix. This isn't a, anything to be taken lightly. Um, and I think it's like I got into such a good good place of being like I am a woman you know I um which not everybody with our condition like feels that way I think getting like the intersex umbrella and that we're under kind of allows for like we always have freedom of like self like gender and expression but I think it gives a, a little more permission for that but to me I've always just felt I I went through a little bit of what how how do I feel identity wise but um you know, I feel my, my soul is very feminine and I came to a, like, I'm a woman, like I'm a woman. And so now I had to, I was kind of irritated. Like I have to do that again with myself, like redefining your version. Redefine. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, there was a small period of like, when I was pregnant where I'm like, I am woman. Like Mm. I am like warrior mom. Um, and like, She's like, I am woman. I am, I am fearless. <laughs> yeah. I cannot sing. I shouldn't have sung on the podcast. <laughs> but anyway, it's a really good song. <laughs> but like, I, yeah, I love that song. Um, yeah, so like there was, so, but now I'm, so it's just like the interesting perspective of being like it, it really was, I did it so I could experience being pregnant. Mm. There is nothing else like, if we, we, you know, we probably would have gone down the surrogacy road if we hadn't done this. And we still, we still can, because we still have those extra embryos. Um, and like, so very well, like Lydia could have come into the world later, you know, like there was, um, but this getting to experience that did, I don't know. It's like, I'm still, I was still, I was woman before I was woman during, and I'm still woman after. And it, it's been my, in my own journey and work, working on my own, like self-acceptance, self-love, self-identity. Um, that's the actual, like, like I said before, like that's the actual answer to this, not getting a, uh, you know, not getting a womb or not getting 
to even be a mom, not dilating like that has surprisingly little to do with our worth as a human woman. Um, it's, it's more about just coming to terms with, as my body does all these things out of my own control. And then something's in my control that me deep in my heart and my spirit, um, accept and know myself as a woman, uh, I don't know that, that, that to me, that's like, that's the journey. I think, um, that's a journey that I, and I didn't need a transplant to feel that to me, it was a lesson helped me, help me solidify where I already was. Um, but it didn't, I didn't need it. And I think it would have been harder going through if I hadn't come to terms with my identity first. Cause I think if someone were to come to transplant, for to solve an identity issue will be disappointed I don't know if that sounds kind of harsh but it um no, it was the reality, reality yeah that's just like it was my was my perspective um yeah so I am woman I am fearless I'm beauty I'm divine <laughs> I'm strong and it's oh Marianne I'm just so like in awe of your story and I just want to say like thank you so much for coming on and like telling this for this like really special episode of something <laughs> genuinely because I feel like Lydia's famous womb transplant baby <laughs> and and just, there's so many cute baby stuff out there I just her mom happens to be obsessed with Instagram so <laughs> she's out there all the time and I just yeah I just yeah I just want to thank you really for just thank you the um your story and just and coming on and, and telling it in such a candid like candid way I guess because we you people read news about womb transplants and they see kind of edited versions of someone's experience but to hear right. your story and like the detail I think makes it so real like in a in like a mo the most yeah. real version I've ever heard which isn't Probably not maybe just because I haven't been to listen to anyone any other podcast about it or anything like that and and I'm speaking to you face to face and I care about you and I like love you as a friend online <laughs> um so yeah no it was a really really special 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 episode and every episode is bloody special but I think um I think science is just amazing and it's like right. a, quite a unique rare experience so yeah right. just want to say thank you really Thank you. I feel very privileged I get to do this ambassador program and it's brand new jumping off with beautiful you um, here in the States. And because I shared a lot and in depth about how alone I was, I was so isolated and I had to figure it out myself and like, sure, that has given me some strengths in a way, but I had no idea, like, that there were other girls like you, like we're like I, I'm a couple years older than you, but like, like at the same time, we're getting diagnosed as me. And I had no idea. I had no way of connecting with that. And I don't want these new girls. Like I'm so grateful for um like MRKH stars, like these that are specifically speaking to the, the young and newly diagnosed. Like I had no idea. Like I don't want girls out there to feel um alone like I did. Um I'm happy to, I blazed my own path. I, I want to use those lessons to pass up those on. I don't want someone else to have to feel so um, alone. So my, my thing I would say to somebody who just found out, <laughs> um, I would just cry and want to hug them through the screen, but um, um, is that you'll, the harder you look to try to fix what you feel like is wrong with your body. 
the more disappointed you will be because you are, you are so good and you are so whole and you are so right as you, um, the way that you came into the world in whatever parts are or aren't there. Um, it does not change your worth. It does not change your ability to be loved. It does not change your ability to express motherhood or maternal love any differently. And that whatever path that you choose to express yourself as a woman or not, as a mother or not, as a partner or not, is right. And you have a community that loves you, a community that has gone all the different paths to this, that it is, it is up to you to find the path that is right for you, but that you have the support in whatever you way you choose to go. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> oh, Marianne, thank you so much. I'm just going to be thinking about this episode for a long time and I can't wait to go and go back in and listen to the whole thing again when I do some edits. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, thank you so much again for coming thank on, you. for sharing everything. For like, so happy that I've met Lydia. I, that was an honour. <laughs> <laughs> she is amazing. I love her. I love Pretty her good. already. Um, anyway, yeah, thank you so much and thank you. Take care and I will speak to you soon. <laughs> I'm sure. Bye. Thank you. Thank you everybody for listening. <laughs> Lots of love. Thank you so much for listening to the Mind Over MRKH podcast. We will have regular new episodes, so please follow and subscribe. If you want to come for a chat, get in touch. And to everyone with MRKH, you are not alone.